there's always one day when reality hits. Your well-devised trip that you'd been planning for months or for years falls short of your expectations of what you had imagined. The disappointment you feel may bring you thoughts of packing up and heading back home. Or you can pick up your map and look for what other treasures your surroundings hold for you to discover. And you trace a new route and embark on a new and exciting voyage. In this episode, Kelly Bullock shares her experience switching from a PhD to a master's program and how she then made use of what she learned in grad school to build a career for herself where her two loves, neuroscience and art, intersect. Welcome to Papa PhD with David Mendez, the podcast where we explore careers and life after grad school with guests who have walked the road less traveled and have unique stories to tell about how they made their place in a world of constantly evolving rules. Get ready to go off the beaten path and hop on for an exciting new episode of Papa PhD. Before we dive into today's episode, I just want to let you know that I've prepared for you a resource sheet to help you take a snapshot of your current situation and start defining your profile for the job market in your areas of interest. You can download it by visiting papaphd.com and following the instructions in the website footer. Welcome to the show. Originally from Texas, Kelly Bullock moved to Canada, where she earned her master's degree in cognitive neurophysiology from McGill University in conjunction with Western University. During her research, Kelly noticed a gap between the technical experts and the diverse audiences they served, and developed a passion for more effective science visualization and communication. From an early age, she had an enthusiasm for creating realistic illustrations. After her graduate studies, she combined her love for science and her enthusiasm for art to build a scientific illustration studio, Kelly Bullock Art, inspired to address the communication gap in science. Welcome to the podcast, Kelly. Thanks for having me, David. Uh, so tell us a little bit more about yourself and about your current projects, what you do. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, as you mentioned, I'm originally from Texas, so I grew up in a small town, uh, Weatherford, Texas, and moved to Montreal um, for my PhD originally. And uh, I, I have to say the beginning of my graduate studies were a bit chaotic. And as such, um, Within a year, I, I decided to transition from a PhD to a master's um, so that I could still, you know, benefit from the graduate studies while um, finding a way to leave academia, because at that point, it was kind of clear that it wasn't going to be the best fit for me. And I, I loved science, uh, but um, I had more interests that varied um, beyond just science, and I found that um, the academic career sort of selected for people who could focus on one thing and, and really learn it in depth. And I think I, I wanted to be more versatile and interdisciplinary. And that's how I ended up doing uh, scientific illustration. Cool. So create designs that represent uh, different um, scientific uh, concepts or, or, actual, or anatomy. What, what exactly do you do in terms of scientific illustration? 
Yeah, absolutely. So you hit the nail on the head. Um, really, what I'm doing is helping to communicate complex uh, concepts to a diverse audience. So, for example, if a researcher has a recent paper or sort of a, um, a body of literature that they want uh, visualized so that they can attract uh, media attention or so they can attract new graduate students, I would come in and create a conceptual art that demonstrates what their research is about and captures sort of the the inspiration for their projects. Um, so when I was growing up, I was really influenced by Scientific American and popular consumer publications. And I would read through the science and the visuals helped me understand them, even though I was a lay person. And I've sort of carried that memory into my, my life today. Like I want to be the person who can help inspire a new generations of potential scientists. Mm -hmm. That's, uh, that's very cool. I've always loved also that part of being able to take an idea that's very complex and uh, simplify it or break it down. And then being able to do an infographic or or just a, a nice realistic graphic that represents um, uh, that, that that actually explains you know so for people who are more visual uh, that explains the concept that's that's behind it uh, and those magazines for sure that you mentioned uh, I was also you know it's also the type of thing that I that I would passionately look look through uh, I just I don't have the the artistic uh, <laughs> vein though to do to do it myself. Cool. So that's that's very interesting. So this interest you you brought it from before. You said from your childhood, and you kept it throughout, uh, even throughout your studies. So, but you said that you 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 arrived uh, in Montreal for your PhD, and then uh, in that first year, you felt okay. I'm I'm gonna reevaluate and uh, reassess. And actually, you ended you ended up deciding to to write uh, your master your master's thesis, right? Yes, that's absolutely correct. And what brought you to this conclusion that the uh, the PhD, postdoc, etc., was not the the way to go for you? So I would say it was a combination of things. Um, I found that um, I had less of an appetite. Uh, for delving into one really intricate, small, minute area and just really fleshing that out. So, for example, like um, learning about one pathway in one area of the brain. And I really loved the big picture. And that was something, uh, sort of the why behind the what. That's really what I was more interested in. So I realized that it, being a researcher, um, I think that you really have to focus in on one thing. And if you are, if you're sort of all over the place and you want to um, pursue bigger picture ideas, um, that's really something you only get to do in late stage career, I, in my opinion. Um, so I found the, the sort of, I found it really hard to focus as someone who I think is a little bit creative uh, and a little bit of uh, maybe even uh, distractible. <laughs> Um, I found it really hard to just focus in on one thing and, and keep my interest. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, thinking of, of the listeners out there that might be going through something similar, uh, what were the feelings that you dealt with when you, you had this realization? Okay, I came here for this, but now I see that this is not, you know, not what, what's going to be good for me and where I'll thrive. Uh, and I'm actually going to go this way. 
there was probably uh, some inner conflict uh, or how, how did how was you know how did you deal with it uh, internally was it easy did you uh, resort to uh, mentors or people that uh, that helped you make the decision how 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 did that uh, go for you so absolutely it was a uh, kind of a big disappointment for me to find out because I had uh, been pursuing neuroscience since I was 15 years old. Wow. So it was my dream to be a neuroscientist. And then I got there in quotation marks and it wasn't what I expected. Um, and it wasn't really, I just realized it wasn't the right dream for me to pursue. So it was a bit of a, uh, almost a mourning period to, to realize that I had not chosen the correct path that was going to fulfill me. Uh, but beyond that, once I did get over that initial disillusionment, I think that I had to learn not to over-identify with that pathway <laughs> and make it define me anymore. And that was hard to do. And what resources did you have to help you deal with it? Because for sure, I hear what you're saying and I can totally understand it and, and identify that if, especially if you say, you know, when you were 15, when you said, okay, this is, this is what I'm going to do. Uh, it can, it can come as a, a shock, you know, for even for yourself. Uh, did you have resources that helped you deal with the, with this stress at, the, at this point? My main resources were my friends in the graduate program. Um, so I don't, I wouldn't say that I had any mentors per se. I, I do remember calling my aunt who was uh, also an academic and she made me feel much better because she had had also quite a circuitous path to her current position, which is as a clinical psychologist. So she told me the story of how she transitioned from being a master's and in uh, English to a PhD in uh, to getting her law degree and then finally getting her PhD in uh, clinical psychology. Wow, wow, wow. Okay, that that must have been really helpful because uh, at that point you probably were thinking, okay, I've, I have failed, and uh, and your aunt clearly told you, no, 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 this was, this is just a turning point, right? Yes. Absolutely. It made it seem far less uh, dire that I was changing my career path. And as you were saying, uh, friends, you know, uh, be it uh, within or without your, the, graduate, uh, the graduate program uh, are always, you know, it's, it's always kind of a safety, your safety net, your emotional safety net, let's say. But those that are within the program maybe can identify more with, with what you were feeling at that time. So you, you did... Uh, you did find that that you had to to change, let's say, your path, uh, and you you took the decision. And then, how how was it? You know, from that point on until when you wrote your your thesis, how did things go? Uh, was was it easy to to still uh, be focused towards that that objective? I would say that I still struggled a bit. Uh, I did have something um, to move towards, which was I wanted just because of my personal standards. I wanted to create something that was of high quality when I wrote my thesis and I and the paper that uh, that came out of that. Uh, but but I had something to focus on and work towards and had a definite end. So then I could 
I, I didn't have to like split my attention between pursuing something new and also finishing something that I was starting. Excellent. And, uh, and so starting from when you decided to go towards the masters until, uh, until you finished uh, and, and even up until today, are there some principles that you would say that, you know, that you applied uh, and that uh, helped you finish and that even help you with your projects that you carry on today? Absolutely. So one of the main things that I think that I take away from my graduate studies is that you can become an expert in anything. And certainly uh, once I did decide to uh, become a entrepreneur, this mindset has been incredibly helpful because otherwise the facing the idea of building a business and marketing and learning all this different technology would be so daunting, but it's exactly what I did in my graduate studies. Uh, so it's nothing new. I can learn new technologies. Uh, I can uh, learn in depth about uh, different uh, concepts just through research and uh, by networking properly and putting myself in contact with people who know better than I do. Uh, so I think the main thing that I took from graduate studies was a confidence in my own ability to learn anything. Excellent. And, and that's definitely one of the things that, that we, that we take with us throughout life from grad school is learning to learn, you know, uh, you, if, if uh, for anything, any type of project that comes on and that, uh, that you may want to, to take on, you're not afraid of the fact that just because you've never delved into that, uh, it, it's not an obstacle for you to take on these projects, for sure. Uh, and um, so you saw that you, you were not going to follow through to the PhD. You then went on to finish your master's and, and you know, finished it to your, to your standards of, of, uh, of, uh, the qual of quality that you, that you wanted. What about... The transition. What what happened after? First, was it easy for you to then define what your projects were, or were there obstacles, or or were there fears that you felt just when you finished and and when you were then you know uh, free to go into into the job market? So I would say the main obstacle was actually a circumstantial one um, because I'm a U.S. citizen. I actually had to apply for permanent residence. Um, so after I finished my master's, I actually came back to Canada for a period of five months to uh, finish the paper that had resulted from my thesis. Uh, and during that time, I began applying for permanent residence and... Um, one of the requirements uh, that was that I had to uh, have a year of experience as a skilled worker. So I actually uh, got a unrelated uh, job outside of academia um, for about uh, for almost two years, um, just to allow me to uh, apply for permanent residence and also to get a taste for the world outside of academia. And I, I could speak a little bit on that experience. Um, yeah, definitely. So I would say that, so the, the, the job that I got into, it was an IT research firm. Uh, so basically, I got to learn about uh, customer-facing uh, activity, um, how to um, be a good client uh, representative, 
how to interact with other people. But one thing that I'll, I'll say is that your skills as a graduate student uh, are extremely valued in that sort of corporate environment. Your work ethic is in, and your ability to argue any point that is extremely uh, valuable and, and useful in that sort of environment. So that, that experience itself was uh, incredibly helpful for helping me uh, feel more comfortable with marketing and talking to clients and even writing emails to people who are in academics. Excellent. So what I'm hearing is that once you found this, this job, and maybe we'll, we can talk a little bit later about, you know, how was that plunge into the job market? But you were saying that you found quite quickly that uh, you had skills that were easily transferable from your your graduate studies to this this uh, activity which which was more uh, commercial let's say um and this is something that has come up in in different interviews but i, I think you're just confirming it so what i'm hearing is uh, apart from what you published and what uh, you know what actually what you studied uh you come out of your masters in this case with uh, with soft skills as they are called that uh, that are prized by by employers out there so this is very interesting for people who are finishing and who may think oh uh, i've i've been studying all these years employers uh, won't you know i i won't be an interesting candidate for employers because they, they'll think i'm bookish or uh, you know or a lab rat or whatever but in your experience there was a direct uh, positive balance in, in your favor from coming to grad school. Absolutely. And I think that you are absolutely right. One thing that I've heard over and over again from uh, my former colleagues in, in academia is that uh, no one wants to hire you if you have a PhD. It makes it harder to get a job. Um, and while I do think that PhD and, and master's students have perhaps a little bit of a misconception to work against, that they're bookish. Once they get into an interview, they show how articulate and intelligent and um, capable they are. Uh, they have no problem. Uh, if, you're, if your employer is um, a good employer and sort of pr progressive, they will see past that and they'll see that you have so much to offer uh, them in the corporate world. And what would you say you know, during your grad studies, uh, fostered these, these uh, skills? What, what were the activities or the events that, that made you, that afterwards you found, wow, uh, I did A, B, and C, I, I, and I was unknowingly, I was gaining this knowledge, and now I'm using it in my day-to-day -day in this job. Absolutely. So one of the main things would be, um, I would say, the public speaking aspect of presenting your, your research at conferences, at symposia, uh, coffee talks, and things like that. That was something that I definitely struggled with in graduate school, the stress of speaking in front of people. Um, I think that um, I came in a little bit... Uh, struggling in that area and then left having improved massively. <laughs> and so that allowed me to have the confidence when I did need to present ideas in a corporate environment. Um, I think that people in, a, in that environment are a little bit less um, 
particular, they're a little bit less vocal about criticisms. So it, it becomes a cakewalk, to be honest, when you're presenting to a business crowd. Cool. Excellent. So I guess also the fact that, you know, because I imagine that employers also may think, well, this person coming from uh, from uh, research, you know, from the bench, is probably an introvert, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then when they discover that no, you you've been uh, you've been to symposia, you've talked in public, you've defended posters, uh, you know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, it, it must come as a, a pleasant surprise to them. Yeah, I, I think potentially um, at the uh, at the company that I worked for, they did have a history of hiring people um, from that graduate program. So I think they had already learned that graduate students have a ton of skills that are highly valued in that sector. That's interesting to know. That's that's really cool that that some employers out there already know <laughs> know about this, uh, so to say, secret. Excellent, excellent, and so. Take, you know, taking this information and thinking about people who are now in their studies, uh, would you have any advice on how they, they can make the most uh, of their time at university leading to their future career? I think that um, one of the main takeaways that I had for my graduate studies was not to over-identify with your work. And that's potentially a, a controversial stance, um, but being able to separate yourself from the output because you will face so much rejection, you will face so many setbacks in your research. It's, it's almost inevitability just because of the nature and how difficult the thing that you're doing is. Um, so if you can say, oh, my experiment failed, but I'm not a failure, that is so important and and. By being able to do that, you'll you'll be a little bit more able to set that boundary between your work and your life, which is so important. You're touching on a, a, a point that's very dear to me, uh, which is work-life balance, and especially you know in, in grad school, where you know you're you can be vulnerable for for different reasons. Like in your case, you were away from home in another country. You know. Uh, and and if if in fact if you over identify with what you do and with the results that you get it can be very difficult and and uh one of the things that that i think uh is very very uh important to take care of is your your mental health throughout grad school and uh for sure finding you know finding a, a good balance and and one of the key points as you said is do not over identify with your with your results, with your day-to-day -day results, uh, and and even with your results at the end, I, I would say, uh, uh, because some people uh, have a hard time even publishing at the end of either a master's or, or a PhD, uh, and uh, it doesn't make them failures. You are totally, totally right. Um, and on that aspect, what would you say were um, coping strategies that you that you uh, that you had throughout grad school? in terms of, you know, keeping your inner universe healthy? I think uh, being able to uh, sort of talk to other people, like my friends in the graduate program who were also experiencing the same challenges and uh, being able to, to bolster each other and help each other have a better attitude about if we have a disappointing uh, result from an experiment, that sort of thing, that was hugely therapeutic. And the other thing that I would say is uh, I actually had um, 
a uh, uh, outside activity, which was I started a, a choir in the uh, among the uh, um, Brain and Mind Institute whenever I moved to Western. Um, so that was a really fun weekly thing. We would get together and we actually performed at some of the symposia uh, held by wow. the department. And it was one of the surprising things where we started with six people and ended up with 40 people by the time I left. Uh, so uh, there was a real desire for that musical expression uh, outside of the work. And it was really nice to be able to, to do that uh, activity with people and get to know people better. Oh, wow. That's, that's amazing because, well, singing can be therapeutic, <laughs> you know, uh, and, uh, but it seems that, Two things, two things that I want to say. First, it seems that you were very lucky to have a, a group of students in the program that that were kind of a little family. They, tell me if I'm interpreting wrong, but I feel that you had a nice little group and, and that's, you know, that's very, very cool. Absolutely. <laughs> Second, the choir, especially if you ended up having 40 people, which, which is, you know, it's just quite impressive. That's also a community, right? So... Uh, two again, two very important points in my in my point of view in in keeping yourself healthy. Uh, it's having having a, a let's say a support group, you know, within your close uh, your your close group of of people or colleagues. That that's perfect if you can do that. But uh, also have an activity outside outside of your research that uh, that gives you a sense of community and uh, a, fulfill, a fulfillment because i imagine you know whenever you did a a, a concert or a, you know whenever you took part in a seminar in a what did you say in a symposium yes yeah whenever you did a show at the end you know you did something you did it well people enjoyed people clapped you know it's it's uh, it's probably an experience that bolsters you and that makes you that gives you uh, uh, happiness uh, and, and and joy in a certain aspect in, in in your life, and that does not depend and is not linked in any way to your research or your results. Absolutely, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, it was really just the sense of community and being able to, I think, share in ex uh, creative expression, which is something you do get that within your graduate studies, but it's it's a little bit different. Yeah, it's not in, not the same type of. Uh, of feedback that you get because uh, i imagine when you sing and people clap it's you know the feedback is right there people are happy they liked what you did the effort was worth it because i imagine that you had practices uh that had that were in you know at certain days of the week so there was some work that you guys uh, put into it for sure oh yeah absolutely yeah it's funny i i wish i could have been there because i like i like music and uh, i actually been in choirs in the past and it's i know uh, how how fulfilling that can be awesome really cool and now apart from your colleagues and maybe people from the choir um i always like to ask my guests the importance networking may have had during grad school uh, and also after grad school what's your experience in terms of networking did you keep in contact with people from the time that you spent in grad school and uh, is are some of those contacts uh, professional or or not at all 
So for me and my uh, projects that I'm pursuing right now, those networks that I, uh, that network and those contacts that I made in graduate school were paramount to what I'm doing now. So uh, I, I do work quite a bit with the researchers um, that I, uh, th- that were in the program that I went to, mm-hmm. uh, as well as uh, use my uh, background as a researcher because what I find is that I can provide uh, some insights into the design of the illustrations and the visualizations. Because I was a researcher, I can better meet those needs. And so I, I have those skills as well as the network from my graduate studies um, that really do help me directly with my, with my projects right now. Cool. You're, you're an insider, so to say. Yeah, exactly. You can have a dialogue with the different scientists, I imagine. Exactly. That's, that's very interesting. And I do think it makes the work a little bit more interesting for me as well. Um, Especially if you dream, you know, if it's something that you've dreamt uh, of doing since you're 15, well, you're still doing it. So I, I imagine that must be fulfilling in a way. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Well, this is great. Uh, I think I think you've touched on some very important points, and uh, and I really like some of the things that you've mentioned about how how you went through uh, through grad school. Now, I'd like to ask another, uh, you know, to go into a different uh, different aspect of going through grad school, uh, which have to do with um, cultivating yourself. So, the idea is. A little bit like you mentioned, you may uh, get into grad school and start over-identifying, let's say, with your work, with your results. And um, I talked about mental health a little bit before, uh, and, and this has to do with that also, which is um, you may drop the ball a little bit uh, uh, in terms of taking care of yourself having you know your life plan that looks further than two three four or five years um and also considering that you you then went into the 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 job market and you know you know you went out of the uh, academic career path let's say um another aspect that go that during grad school may be difficult to cultivate is cultivating abilities of promoting yourself uh, to potential employers that you may find uh, in the job market. So the, the first question I'd like to ask in this domain would be what habits or resources uh, helped you cultivate yourself as an independent person during your studies and come out ready to promote yourself on the job market? Yeah, so that's a great question. I think uh, when I was first applying for that job outside of graduate school, uh, the main thing that I had to sort of uh, flip that I needed to switch uh, was that I needed to learn how to actually understand my own worth within a job market. Uh, So one of the benefits of graduate school is you do learn very adeptly how to present data in a, in a convincing way. And you can use those same skills to show actually I am worth uh, this much money. This is the salary that I'm going to ask for. I'm willing to walk away if it's not met uh, because I've done my research and uh, I don't think it's going to be a good fit if, (laughs) if the employer is not willing to uh, match that because I know what the market is 
is asking for. Um, so I think that's that's absolutely key is knowing your own worth and actually practicing being able to um, speak about that confidently. Definitely. And did you did you have any um, resources, at, be it at McGill or Western, that uh, that you that you used uh, maybe to learn how to tailor your CV or how to write a resume, or did you just uh, go go at it on on your own and uh, cultivated those skills yourself? I'd say it would be more towards the latter. However, I did have uh, two colleagues who helped me tremendously with this um, because when you are in graduate school, you may not be making uh, the most, the largest salary in the world. So you do sort of learn uh, that your time is not as valuable. So that was something that I had to unlearn um, through conversations with one of my colleagues who was also looking for a job outside of graduate school. And the figure she was she was throwing out, I was like, oh, okay, I didn't even realize I could ask for that much money. And it really changed my mindset uh, to look into how much are you worth and not actually settling for anything less. And that's, that's fine. And that's actually going to create a more beneficial uh, relationship with your employer down the road. Cool. So this kind of segues into my next question, which was about mentors. You said you didn't have mentors per se, but this person the, that you're mentioning, somehow she was mentoring you because she she had, you know, or she was going through the same uh, process and she kind of showed you the ropes <laughs> in a way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I think the, the peers and the friends that I had in the, in the program were my mentors more so than any one uh, more experienced person. Excellent. That's again, I'm, uh, I, I want to, I almost want to meet these people because it looks like it was a really nice group. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. And what about after you finished, uh, you know, because you, you, you defined a career path for yourself. Uh, how did you, um, you know, you said you had uh, this job, which, which was more on the commercial side, etc. But eventually, you had a career path that you wanted to follow and that you're now, you're now, uh, you know, you're now working on. What were the steps uh, that, that, you know, what did you do to become the professional that you are today? And were there in this aspect of your life, people that also helped you uh, to, to achieve this? Absolutely. So I think both in the organization that I worked in after my master's and in my current role, there have been uh, individuals who have helped me tremendously and who I would consider mentors. So I think that in the in the position I was in, uh, my direct supervisor was an incredible resource. Um, he was uh, incredibly knowledgeable about uh, business as a whole, about uh, talking to clients, and I did uh, become a manager within that role. Uh, so he then became a great resource for how to manage people, which was quite an, an exciting, interesting thing to learn about. And then in my current role, I do have actually a mentor through the Association for Medical Illustrators. Uh, and they have been absolutely paramount in understanding and helping me feel more uh, comfortable that I'm on the right path, how to market myself, how to uh, make sure that my professional standards are uh, world-class. That's very interesting. So 
so now you're you're a part of this association. Uh, did you have to take uh, to any courses? Was there something uh, like academically that you that you did, you know, to uh, you know, bolster yourself in terms of uh, abilities to do what you do now? So I would say that my pathway to becoming a science illustrator is a little bit uh, different than most. Most individuals will go to a accredited program. There's only four uh, that I know of in the United States, uh, and they'll actually do. Uh, I think it's a two-year master's program, and they'll earn a degree in uh, biomedical communications. So that would have been the most expedient way to to enter the field. However, because of my circumstances, I was unable to do that. And so my approach is just to uh, do it. I understand it will probably take me a little bit longer to gather all of the skills that I would have otherwise gathered through a professional program. Um, but with the help of my mentor and the community, I have to say within the Medical Illustrators uh, Association is absolutely tremendous, very, very um uh, generous with their knowledge and with their mentorship. So it's been a lovely experience so far. That's very, very cool to know. And I think uh, anyone looking to, to go into, uh, into a profession that, is, that has a type of a, an association that, that works officially uh, to help professionals in that domain, for sure, uh, approach them and, and, uh, and if you can have a mentorship program like you're mentioning, that's really awesome. That is really cool. Now, again, about, about the people who've, who've helped you along the way, what would be uh, like the most important lesson, let's say, that you've learned from the different mentors that you've had? And, uh, and how has this helped you to become who you are today? I think uh, I just have to go back to uh, that individual who helped me understand my worth and uh, that sort of mentality of not accepting a uh, position that's a poor fit for you in, in any manner, whether it's it demands more of your time than you're willing to give up or it demands you to work for less money than you're worth. It's just not worth it and it's not going to lead to good uh, work from you and it's not going to be a fulfilling relationship with the employer. So I think that's the number one uh, lesson that I learned from my mentors. That's a very good lesson. And it's, it is very important because like you were saying before, uh, coming out of grad school, you are not uh, trained or it's not that as natural for you to value your time a lot. Uh, and depending on the domain that you're working, the value that you give your time can be actually very, very low because you may uh, work uh, days, nights, weekends towards a result, towards an experiment that may fail a bunch of times. And it's true. It's not uh, a given that you'll come out being conscious of, of the value of your skills uh, and, and of what you you bring as a as a team member for any uh, any company. Um, now the the challenge is, you know, not everyone has someone beside them that can that can let's say open their eyes and tell them no 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 look, this is your this is grad school this is the world. Looking at you from the you know from the world, 
you have this value. And I wonder, I wonder, um, I imagine one of one of the things that that people can do and listeners that can can do is uh, try and see whether their university has a, a career service. Uh, and often, often they do. I know, I know McGill uh, have one, and that's that's very, very good, full of resources where you can uh, a, a little bit like like you did and like your colleague was doing. You can research different careers. Um, you can uh, actually you can learn to tailor your CV and then to write a resume. Um, but I, from my memory, you can actually also have uh, data on, on uh, first, what different careers look like in terms of day-to-day, but also in terms of pay, I think. I think there, there, there's part, that's part of what they offer as, uh, as resources there. So, so I would say, if you have someone in your network that has done the, tra- the transition or that works in the domain that you want to work, well, approach them. You know, now with be it LinkedIn or uh, or, or other platforms, or just you know reaching out to to people through people you know, that would be, I'd say, the best source. Someone who's doing what you want to do, and they'll tell you they, they'll tell you the numbers, they'll tell you the day to day. But if if that's not at all possible, well, use Google like anyone does, does today. But if you have a resource and you have professionals at your university. That that offer this service well, use it because it's it's definitely precious, and you'll see that you you're worth much more than you than you imagine by the end of a, a master's or a PhD. I couldn't agree with you more, David. And I would take that a step farther and say, uh, sometimes you'll be surprised when you reach out to people in your network who have moved on to non-academic careers. Sometimes they're willing to. Uh, put you in contact with someone who's willing to hire you or have an interview with you. Uh, so that can really even open up doors beyond just the research part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think anyone that that sees a candidate that has done their homework, you know, that has looked at what the company does and that can have a conversation about how they'll contribute, for sure they'll want to see you and have coffee or just have an interview and eventually hire you because you know if if you show how how you're motivated and if you if it's something that you know it's a calling for you that'll that'll be apparent in a, in an interview and 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 it'll uh, it, for sure it'll help uh, these people make a decision you know versus looking at a pile of CVs having someone that that uh, has been referred by someone they know uh, it's a foot in the door like they say right <laughs> absolutely excellent um well i'm getting to my last question which is uh, a little bit, you know, kind of summing up everything that we've talked about and trying to uh, to give our listeners some food for thought and some uh, some advice. Uh, and um, and the idea is that now you imagine that you're in front of an audience full of young finalists or young graduates uh, that you know may uh, be going through the same questions and uh, and. Uh, uh, f- you know, finding the same uh, uh, obstacles that that you found when you transitioned, and um, you know they have fears, they have worries, uh, and they want to find their place in the job market. Uh, so the idea is that if you imagine that you have this audience in front of you, that you tell them what two or three basic strategies or principles they could follow starting today to put in place a realistic and attainable project of transitioning to the non-academic uh, job market. Yeah, so that is a, it's obviously a huge task to make that transition and to even begin to understand what you want to do. And I think one of the main things is to 
do your research, find a vocation that is profitable, fulfilling, but also can provide value to your audience and make you feel like you're making a valuable contribution. Uh, and that's not always the easiest thing to do, but if you do that research and you, you have a, a decent idea of some, that something's actually going to earn you money and be fulfilling, you'll be that that's 90% of the battle. And then Beyond that, I think be willing to take calculated risks. So even leaving academia is a risk. You've invested so much time and energy into one career and you're leaving it. And you may not even use that degree uh, directly for your next career, uh, but invest in yourself, uh, understand that the skills that you earn, that you learn during your graduate school, uh, will be valuable. They will come into play, uh, in your next move and be willing to, uh, you know, go to school again, or take some classes and make the move towards something that you will be, uh, find more fulfilling. I totally agree. And, uh, like, like we were saying before, one of the things we learn to do in grad school is we learn to learn. And we, so we learn to study, we learn to research uh, and, you know, almost anything that you, that you uh, decide to do is going to be far easier than finishing your master's or finishing your PhD. Plus now you have all the skills that you've acquired during that process. So for sure, uh, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, this is very wise advice. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, once you're on the job market, you'll see that, uh, all that you've done, all the work that you've put towards your degree in detail, you know, it probably won't, uh, it, it won't apply. No one's going to ask you in the, in the, in industry, what you published <laughs> or, uh, or how many papers you, it's, it's a non-question after that. But the fact that, that you that you did the work, that you did write a thesis, that you did do a defense, that you, you did present to different audiences, either in front of a poster or actually uh, in a symposium, all of that will count and it will be valued by, by your employers and by your colleagues in whichever career that you choose. I totally agree. So, Kelly... Uh, we're done. These, these were my questions. Thank you so much. Uh, I, I really, uh, I really find that uh, you, you have a, a, a career path, and uh, and you had a grad school uh, um, path that, that was very interesting. And uh, especially, I really liked uh, how coping with with being, you know, abroad, you know, going through your masters and through your decisions. Uh, I really like the strategies that that came up during your studies uh, especially uh, the the choir it's it's the first time i i i interview someone who was in in something more artistic <laughs> uh, often it's going to be sports or 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 different or yoga or different things this is this was uh, well personally i really like i really really liked it um and uh, and apart from that i think that there was there were very very good insights that you shared and i think uh, our listeners are going to be uh, are going to really like this episode so thank you very much Thanks so much for having me, David. So now we're at the end of the interview. Is there something you'd like to promote? Uh, is there, uh, you know, some uh, online presence that, that you would like to, to talk about? Absolutely. So uh, for the listeners out there, you can find my art at 
my website, so kellybullockart.com, as well as Instagram, which is at kelly.bullock.art. And also, I wanted to mention that I will be exhibiting at the Society for Neuroscience Conference this year in Chicago, which I'm really excited about. Uh, so you'll see me there in October. That is very cool. Uh, just uh, f- for the listeners to know, all of this information is going to be uh, in the in the show notes for uh, Kelly's episode. All right. Bye, Kelly. Talk soon. Thanks. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Papa PhD podcast. Head over to papaphd.com for show notes and for more food for thought about non-academic postgrad careers. I'll always be happy to share inspiring stories, new ideas, and useful resources here on the podcast. So make sure you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to always keep up with the discussion and to hear from our latest guests.